Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I am half of your host, Paul. And I'm the other half, Jamie. And we are going to do another story for you. Actually, it's going to be a part two mm -hmm. tonight. Something that uh, we've been told that we need to hurry up and get this one done. Right. And mm -hmm. so we're going to go ahead and finish my story about the farmhouse from hell. Yes. Yeah. So... What business do we have? Actually, we now have a Instagram account. You can find it under Criminally Disturbed Podcast, all one word. We're gathering a... Gathering. We are... Um, acquiring new listeners. We are. We yeah. are definitely acquiring new listeners. And uh, thank y'all for listening. Right. We now have one... What? I say one, I don't know how many are actually there. It just shows us yeah. the location. But we are now in the Philippines. That's right. That's right. Yay. On many different platforms. Correct. And uh, we just like to, you know, say thank y'all for listening. Yes. And continuing to come back because without you guys, we don't have anything. Right. And we would basically just be talking to ourselves. That's right. I'd be talking to you and you'd be talking to me and nobody's listening. All right. So thank you all for listening. Let's jump into this. Okay. Okay. So how we kind of left off with this, mm -hmm. we have this house in Villisca, Iowa, and it was the Moore house in, in 1912. Mm -hmm. uh, the way I started out the story, a little bit different, is I started at the at the present day and then went back to to kind of give it so the present day is basically a lot of paranormal activity mm -hmm. that is happening in the house a lot of people have visited the house and and have gotten a lot of you know evidence of paranormal activity mm -hmm. uh, not to mention evps which i shared those with you in part one so if you haven't heard part one please go back and and listen and then photos uh, they've been touched. They've been you know, their clothes have been tugged on and things, and so very much a a hot spot, yeah, if you will, for paranormal activity. And then I told you guys about why the paranormal activity was there. So we went back to 1912. It was the Moore House. Um, they were coming home from church one night, and uh, unfortunately, there was someone waiting on them. We don't know if he was if the person was inside of the home or in their speculation both ways or he was in the barn or the person was in the barn and waited until they went to sleep mm -hmm. of course this was 1912 it's a small town the doors were not locked uh, a lot of the doors in the town are not locked anyway so the murderer killed the two adults their four children and then two uh, neighbor girls mm -hmm. stillinger girls while they slept with an axe Sarah Moore, the mother, she was the only one that was uh, struck with the sharp side of the axe, mm -hmm. uh, which to you and me seems like a crime of passion. Right. You know, but all of the victims, all eight of the victims were bludgeoned to death, basically in their sleep uh, and killed. The only one that seemed to move or wake up or fight was Lena Stillinger. Mm -hmm. Her body was displayed differently than the others. Her panties had been removed and thrown underneath the bed, and uh, her nightgown was pulled up. 
And so a little bit different there. And there was a smudge of blood on her thigh from the killer. Mm -hmm. So, and, and then, of course, you know, they were found the next day. And the marshal was called, mm -hmm. the city marshal, he was called. And he went in and he saw the gruesome sight. Okay. And that's kind of where, where we kind of left off. The axe was found in the small bedroom where the girl, where the Stillinger girls were. And I told you about the slab of bacon that mm -hmm. was found beside it. There was an uneaten plate of food in the kitchen and a bowl of bloody water. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, which we can only assume that the killer washed his hands after all of this happened. So that's kind of where we're at, filling you guys in. Now, I told you about the gouges in the ceiling above the parents' bed where the, the murderer was bringing the axe up mm -hmm. and he would hit the ceiling and then come down with a lot of force and things. And so the gouges, they were analyzed and they could determine that the, the person wielding the axe was left-handed. Really? Yes. Now, a lot of science goes into that and mm -hmm. how to figure, uh, so I can... I can't even tell you how that would even look as far as finding the evidence that, okay, well, he's left, or he or she is left-handed. Right. I, I, I don't know how. I would assume know. that it would look the same with either hand. I mean, well, I mean, when you're swinging an axe, uh, you're, when you're chopping wood, uh -huh. you come down, most people come down straight. Mm -hmm. All right. Both hands, you come down and you come down straight, mm -hmm. right in the middle. You don't come from the left. You don't come from the right. And that's where you're going to get most of your powers, right in the middle. Well, apparently there were some characteristics of, you know, the with the gouges in the ceilings and as opposed to where they were and where the bodies were. Oh, I guess it, it kind okay. of it kind of leaned towards the person was left-handed. So there's that. I'm still trying to process that. I know. I, I, I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how they come up with this stuff, but they do. I mean, we've seen it in some shows and things right. like this where they can determine, mm -hmm. you know, if the killer was left or right-handed. Now, on a side note, I guess that this would kind of go to the fact that all left-handed people are crazy. Whatever. <laughs> He's saying that because I'm left-handed? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> All right, so I mentioned to you that there was speculation on whether the killer was waiting in the side of the house mm -hmm. or inside of the barn. And I gave you guys in the first part that there were some bales of hay and that had the imprint. It looked like somebody was laying on them, and mm -hmm. then there was a hole right there that they could easily see the house. Okay. Mm -hmm. The other speculation is that in the house on the second floor— Near the parents, Joe and uh, Sarah's bedroom, was a door. Mm -hmm. That door uh, led to the attic. Okay. All right, it's a full-size door, and it led to the attic, which was just an open space. It was uh, boarded where you could walk across there and stuff. And uh, in, in all of the videos that I've seen and all of the pictures that I've seen, you know, it's pretty wide open. There's really not a whole lot of things, if anything, was in there, mm -hmm. except for a chair. There was a chair. Okay, so somebody could have been sitting in the chair. Somebody could have been sitting in the chair. Now, one website that I saw said that there were two cigarette butts found in the attic. Oh, okay. 
one website said, which was, I'm not going to say which one is more reputable. I'm just going to say another website said that that was not true. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, the second website says, contrary to many rumors, both in 1912 and today, there was no evidence at the scene that the killer hid in any of the closets. There were no fingerprints, no cigar or cigarette butts, and no tobacco juice were found. Even though such talk was heard all over Montgomery County in the years of investigation that followed the murder. Okay. So, that is going to bring up something very concerning when when you're trying to investigate a murder. Mm-hmm. Um, the day of, you know, the marshal is still there. Word is starting to get spread around town. I don't know if it's the next door neighbor. I don't know if it's this person calling this person, the operator calling everybody. I don't know. But what happened is a lot of the people in the community started showing up. Of course they did. Now, once there was a crowd, mm-hmm. the marshal said, basically, hey, everybody, don't go in there. You will regret it for the rest of your life. Well, what the hell do you think they're going to do? Because I would have been like, what the fuck is in there? I, I need to go see. I need to do it. And I need to do whatever he says. I need to do the opposite. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh-huh. People started making their way into the house. Mm. All th- bodies are still in there. Uh-huh. The crime scene was tainted immediately. Right. There was no evidence that could have been collected. I mean, people were going through there. There were people coming out, throwing up. I mean, it was, it was horrific. You know, even us, you know, we think that, oh, we'd be okay just walking through there. No, I mean, it was horrific. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, yeah, most of the town went through the house. And there's even a picture that shows the house and a crowd of people standing there posing for the picture. Posing? Yes. What? Everybody's looking at the camera like, hey, I'm here too. Wow. <laughs> I know. So this was like like selfies before selfies were cool. Yeah. Hey, take my camera, take my picture. That was the selfies back in, yeah. in, the, in the 1912s. So anyway tainted crime scene the the marshal could not get control and and establish any kind of a perimeter or anything okay that that kind of just makes me just want to say okay what kind of marshal was this to where he couldn't be like if y'all step foot within 10 feet of this house you're going to jail or you know something to that effect i know you know and and but see here's the thing Villisca is a very small town. He's just, he's a marshal and, you know, kind of like a constable. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and the people in the town probably grew up with him. Yeah, like, exactly. That's just homie so from he's high school. Like, oh, kind of like uh, Dewey from the yeah. movie, you know. I'm not, I don't have to listen to him. Shit. Right, just Dewey. Yeah, or, or the or the uh, the spoof remake, Doofus. Yeah. You know, they're like, bro, shut up, Doofus. You know, so anyway, it was kind of like, I guess it was kind of like that. Nobody was taking it seriously. Right. And and maybe the people, maybe they did regret going in there, seeing all that. Because, I mean, to see an adult murdered body, okay, right. that's one thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's tragic enough. But to see a child's... Yeah, I would not have been, uh-uh. No, no. I would not have been okay. Mm-mm. So these people were walking through there. They should have just minded their own damn business and went about their day. 
isn't this the one where the people of the town like stole bits of his skull? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, so there was uh, there was fragments of skull that started coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, people were taking it and things. Uh, at one point in time, the axe was taken. Ooh. The murder weapon. Why the fuck would you take the axe? I, I don't know. But, you know, now there's a museum right. in town, and, mm-hmm. and they have the axe. Allegedly. Yeah, that's true. It's alleged <clears throat> that that's the axe. So, we don't know. Hey, did they keep the slab of bacon? I mean, I mean, shit. You know, I told you about speculation that he used a slab of bacon to possibly masturbate, Uh which is fucking gross. Okay, but yeah, because I'm like, of all things that you could have used, you did the bacon, bacon. Bacon. But then again, it's speculation. It is. It's speculation. But so, what do you know that makes you speculate that that is what he did? Was that like a thing back then? Okay. Well, here's the thing. Okay. If you got a group of guys that are investigating this this scene, mm-hmm. and you're the guy that brings up, hey, maybe he used it to masturbate, what do you think all the other guys are going to do? They're going to look at him and say, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. That is sick. Uh-huh. How did you even come up with that shit? Yeah. What is masturbation? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Right. You know, we don't know how that went, you know, but... I wouldn't want to be the first guy to suggest that. To have thought of that, yeah. Yeah. That that wouldn't, no. So, one of the other things that I told y'all was about the, you know, when the brother, Mm -hmm. Mr. Moore's brother, came in, he said it was eerily dark. The the blinds were drawn, and there were also clothing and sheets hanging over the windows, and also clothing. Didn't you say over the mirrors too? And it was over the mirrors and stuff. He took uh, some of the clothing and things and he put it over the mirrors. A skirt had been found pinned over the front door sashes. So you could, so this door, the front door had, had, had glass in it. It had windows in it, you know? And so, yeah. And so he had taken one of the, a skirt, one of the girl's skirts and pinned it over the, where you couldn't see in. So, so I have a feeling that you're fixing it to tell this, but I'm going to ask the question. You know, usually when you hear people putting covers over mirrors or whatever after somebody has passed, that's yeah. so that their soul will not get trapped in the mirror. Yeah, I don't think that was this, maybe. There's a lot of speculation into what that is or what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of serial killers are, if you do some research into their mental stability and things, they are ashamed of themselves and they don't like to see themselves after they have committed this Uh, one thing comes to mind and i'm not saying that this person was ashamed of what they did or they are or whatever they should have been the weepy voice killer yeah so Mm -hmm. the the weepy voice killer just brief real quick would kill someone Mm -hmm. hurt someone or kill someone and then call 911 and pretty much say where the victim was mm-hmm. and all this and be seemingly distraught about it and hence the name right. Weepy Voice Killer, which I think that the, the recordings of the calls are pretty damn funny to listen to. Yeah, because his voice is... Ugh. It was mainly for attention. Yeah. Um, but let's not say too much about that because we might actually want to do that right, in the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, again, they tend to be ashamed of themselves for what they have done. Mm-hmm. And so 
I've seen in others where they have covered anything that would have cast a reflection, yeah. reflection of themselves. So maybe that was it. I don't know. Now, uh, we talked about the killer went into each one of the rooms several times mm -hmm. and did such damage to the to the victims. Okay, so he had time to go back to each one of the rooms and inflict even more damage to mm -hmm. the bodies. Okay, this was done not all at one time and then move to the next room. It was do this one, do this one, do this one, and then go back and do this one again, so forth and so on. So, when Hank, the marshal, arrived the next morning, he found a shoe tipped over on its side with dried blood on its sole. Now, this is very important to go to the fact that the killer came back. Mm -hmm. This was in the parents' bedroom. It was one of Miss uh, Sarah's shoes. At some point, the blood that, that was running out of the victims dripped down and filled her shoe on the side of the bed. Mm -hmm. Okay, it filled it up with blood. At, before that, it was just blood on the floor and it went around the shoe. That's how the blood got on the sole. However, the killer came back and knocked the shoe on the and side and knocked the shoe on its side and the blood ran out. Okay. Okay, so that told kind of everybody, okay, he came back. Right. Something, you know, uh, something happened when he came back. But also, it also told them that he got closer. Okay, so because at first they were they were coming to the conclusion that he was standing at the foot of the bed and coming down. Remember, I told you yeah. that it was a small bed, twin size, and so he he was swinging that way. Well, her shoe was on the side of the bed, up close, you know. So he actually come around to the side of the bed. So he, this time he's getting closer. All right. One of the things that they did not find was footprints. All that blood. Oh, yeah. And they found no footprints. Because you would have thought that if he was going, he, she, right. whoever was going back and forth, they would have stepped in blood at exactly. one time. Exactly. No I footprints were found. Okay. I couldn't find anything that said that they had found some kind of shoe print or mm -hmm. boot print or anything. Nothing. Nothing. That's crazy. Yeah. So... Motivation. Yeah. Let's talk about motivation. This was a brutal killing. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, you and I said immediately that with the whole thing with her getting hit with the axe on the sharp side and the only one to have that, mm -hmm. that this would be a crime of passion. All right. The brutal mutilation of the adults becomes basically the, the feature of the murder case. All right. Mm -hmm. The kids... Yes, as brutal as it was and as, as tragic as it is that the kids died, they were not, and, and everybody pretty much come to this conclusion, they were not the primary targets here. Which, and I think I probably asked this in part one, if they were not your primary targets and they didn't wake up during the attack on the parents, mm -hmm. then why did they even, you know, why were they even attacked? Why not do the parents and get the hell out of the house? Well, I, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I cannot answer that, and I don't think anybody can, to be just, honest with you. Uh, just a truly despicable person. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. So, two possible explanations here, which basically have uh, very different conclusions, uh -huh. all right, 
regarding the motivation. The first is the, the simpler and, and the of the two in that it does not really imply psychological motivations within the, the killer. Instead, it suggests a practical need to ensure that the adults, being the only individuals in the house who could threaten the killer, mm-hmm. were absolutely incapacitated. Perhaps while murdering the children, and this is just perhaps, okay, he heard a sound from the parents' bedroom, a cry, a moan, a groan, a gurgle, you know, something a dead body might make as fluids or air right. are moved. They just kind of escape from a body that's dying. Right. Okay. Fearing one of the parents uh, might have survived the first attack, he decided to basically go back and inflict more damage. Mm-hmm. So that was their thinking, the reason that the, that the killer went back. Okay. Okay. Now that makes that makes sense. You know, I don't know how anybody could have survived the first attack. Right. You know, I mean, but like I said, and we've seen this before. When, a, when well, we haven't seen it personally, but when a body is dying, things happen right. to it. Okay. It may make noise. I don't know. Something may have fell in the closet. I don't know. So, if this explanation is true. It seems uh, that basically they're dealing with a sociopath, mm-hmm. okay? Um, one lacking in empathy. Duh. <laughs> that he was willing to kill everyone in the house so he could look at a naked Lena undisturbed. So basically what they're saying, the killer had an infatuation for Lena. And so he killed everyone else, starting with the parents, because they would be they would take the most to mm-hmm. kill. Killed everyone else in the house and left Lena for last because he wanted to be able to enjoy looking at her undisturbed. Well, why, at that point, then why not just kidnap her after you've killed everybody else? So that way... Yeah. You can look at her anytime you wanted. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's true. Mm -hmm. That is true. So the other possibility, the possible explanation, goes much deeper into the psyche of the killer, okay? And and the brutal way that the parents were killed. Mm -hmm. Uh, During the second visit, the murderer would not have feared Joe might arise, but instead literally erased the mother and father from the scene. It was not sufficient to merely cover their faces, which pretty much had sufficed for the children, okay, covering the faces. Instead, they had pretty much rendered them unrecognizable, Mm -hmm. okay? And I told you, Joe Moore's face was gone. Yeah. It had been crushed to a point where it wasn't even a face. Mm-hmm. And then Sarah, being the only one that was hit with the sharp side, her face was cut into one-inch pieces, sliced with the axe. Mm-hmm. And so, how could you even identify? Right. You know what I'm saying? Basically, no no longer human. Unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Not even, that they don't even look human. So, this would signify a raging hatred directed towards them as parent figures. Mm-hmm. 
or such guilt within the murderer that the parents must never see what he has done. We probably do not have enough information to say. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I still think it was. It you was think it was the, the other parents. one? Yeah, yeah. It was, I think it was too. And so, yeah, we're going to get into some of that. In addition to all the post-murder activity, the killer had to arrange Lena's body in a sexually revealing pose. I told you, panties were removed, right. nightgown pushed up. And I'm, I'm wondering, because my thought on that is that that really wasn't the intention. Maybe the killer was like, oh, let me kind of do this real quick, so maybe they'll think that it's because of this and not because of my hatred toward the parents, because that was mm -hmm. really my true intentions. I don't know. Because there was two little girls there. So why just one? One of the suspects, I'm just going to say. Okay. One of the suspects, okay? Maybe the primary motivation was sexual in nature? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Lena's obscene pose, the lamp at the foot of the bed to light the scene, mm -hmm. his great care to ensure no light would escape to attract attention. Remember, yeah. he cut the wick so it would it would burn dimmer. Right. Okay. He took the chimney off, mm -hmm. set it at the foot of the bed. You know, the casting of the skirt over the mirror to eliminate a ghostly distraction in a flickering light, and the bacon to serve as a artificial vagina, all okay. lead to the conclusion that the murderer could have been a sexual deviant. Now, put all those things together. What do you, I mean, it kind of... Yeah, I don't get that. But to me, I would think that he wouldn't have used the bacon. He would have, unfortunately, yeah. with the yeah, child. I, I would think if he was that, to go through the, the process of the axe murders right. and things, what would stop him yeah. from doing the deed with her live or dead body? Right. And uh, and then again, and then if that was the case, then why didn't he let her live and take her with him to do whatever disgusting thing that's true. he wanted to do from yeah. then on out? Yeah. That's why I still say it was not really for that. It was yeah. just to throw them off. Yeah. But that's my opinion. I, I, and you're entitled to it. <laughs> I don't have a conclusion here. Yeah. I mean... I can't say whether or not it was that the parents were the primary target or Lena was the primary target or, you know, I don't right. know. I just don't know. Because then, okay, let me throw this out there. Okay. If she was the primary target, then why didn't it happen at her parents' house? I yeah. mean, why did they wait till... Yeah, I mean... Because it sounded like it was a last-minute decision that the, the two girls were going to stay the night with yeah. the Moors. Well, yeah, uh, again... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I hate not knowing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, nothing was stolen from the house. Mm -hmm. Nothing was stolen. Not even Mr. Joe's watch. Actually, the watch was moved. Joe's watch, which should have been up in his bedroom, mm -hmm. it was actually in the downstairs bedroom. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to why this was, but this is the mo the one that I think is the most plausible is the fact that the killer was keeping up with time to make sure he got out of there to before make sure he got daylight. out of there yep exactly yeah. 
before the next door neighbor, mm-hmm. before she got up to start feeding her animals. Right. You know, he probably already knew what time she normally gets up. And so he was keeping a, an eye on that. Let's get into some of the suspects. Okay. The suspects. Iowa State Senator Frank F. Jones. A senator? A senator. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, okay, so he was a prominent resident of Villisca. Mm-hmm. He was an Iowa State Senator. A lot of people speculate that he was the one responsible for these deaths. Why would... Joe Moore. Okay, go ahead. Used, the answer. Used to work for Frank Jones. Okay. At the Jones store for several years until Mr. Joe opened his own implement company in 1908. Oh, okay. Okay, so that basically he opened up his own business, mm-hmm. which, by the way, at the time that Joe Moore was working for Frank Jones, Frank Jones's largest account was John Deere. <gasps> oh. When and- Joe Moore... Joe Moore took it with Joe him. Joe Moore took it with him. Oh, shit. So they had beef. They had some beef. Okay. So that was a huge account that, oh. that Frank Jones lost. I bet it was. And, and that Joe had. Mm-hmm. And so the rumor was that Moore also had an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, oh, Donna. Shit. Oh, shit. Which obviously would, uh, would just create insult to injury. Yeah. You know, but there was a rumor. It was a rumor, okay? Nothing has ever come out, and, and anybody well, has said that, that Joe Moore was, you know... Well, I would think that... A that, cheater. The other guy, Frank. Mm-hmm. I would think he would be more pissed off about losing that John Deere account yeah. than somebody screwing his daughter-in-law. Right, well, if Joe... Well, yes. I mean, it's his daughter-in-law. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, okay, he probably loved his daughter-in-law. He probably loved his son. You know, but back then but he was the, probably like with the son. It's the business. Get, get that girl under control. Because I mean, hell, was what the eighteen hundred, late eighteen hundred, yeah, early nineteen hundred. He's probably like get that girl under control. Yeah. So, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 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 account, the John Deere account, was probably made him as prominent as he was. Yeah. You know, w- has been taken right from him, and so. I guess they figure that if Joe Moore is out of the picture, John Deere would go back to yeah. Frank Jones. So there's not a whole lot of people that say, okay, he did it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it makes sense. It does make sense, though. It does lend to, okay, that could, I could see that. Yeah. All right. But that's about all they had on Frank Jones. It's just speculation. That was it. Yeah. William Mansfield... His nickname was Blackie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, he lived in Blue Island, Illinois. He was the prime suspect of the Burns Detective Agency of Kansas City and Detective James Newton Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. Okay, so James Wilkerson is the lead detective on this, and, and he is uh, he's basically leading up the investigation here mm-hmm. uh, on these Velisca Axe murders. So... According to Wilkerson, the murder of Mr. Joe and the other occupants of the Moore home were committed by Mansfield, who was in turn hired 
by Frank Jones. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, so, so we're so, coming back to Frank. <laughs> so now we're getting into murder for hire. Right. Uh, you know, Frank Jones is a prominent member. And he's, he's not an Iowa get his state hands senator. Right. He is not going to get his hands dirty. Now, this seems really plausible. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it kind of lends back to the Frank Jones story. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, damn. I mean, he probably did. Okay. Which I can makes, see that. even though he wasn't there actually committing the murders, he's yeah. just as guilty. <laughs> Dumbass. Yeah. So, anyway. So that that's that. So Mansfield okay. was also known as George Worley, mm-hmm. or Jack Turnbaugh. Why he have so many different names? Yeah, well, I don't know. According, he was a killer for hire. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe he spent a lot of his life on the run. I don't know. Mm, okay. According to Wilkerson, Mansfield was a cocaine fiend and a serial killer. Wilkerson also believed Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of his wife, infant child, <gasps> father-in-law, oh. and mother-in-law in Blue Island, Illinois. Oh, my goodness. On July the 5th, two years later in 1914, two years after the Velisca murders. Wow. Those people, his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law were all killed by an axe murderer. Oh. Coincidental? Ugh. Yeah, that don't look good for him. No, no. But that's not the only axe murderer we're going to talk about. <gasps> but wait, there's more. Oh, shit. It's <laughs> good. Okay. All right, so there were also axe murders in Paola, Kansas, four days before the Velisca murders. Mm-hmm. And the murders of Jenny... Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Colorado, also axe murders. Okay. So, you see what I'm where I'm going with right. this. So there was, this man is connected to to all of these. Okay. According to Wilkerson's investigation, all of the murders were committed in precisely the same manner, indicating the same man committed them. Wilkerson stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of these places on the night of the murders. Oh, okay, because I'm thinking... <laughs> so there's several murders that yeah. happened here. We've got uh, Blue Island, Illinois, mm-hmm. which is his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law. We've got, um, and that was on July the 5th of 1914, uh, Paola, Kansas, four days before the Velisca murders, and then the ones in, uh, there were some in Aurora, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got all of these axe murders, all about the same, the way that they're killed and everything. And we've got one man that this man, Wilkerson, says that he can prove that he was there the so, night of the murders. Why didn't he prove it? In each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe, and the mirrors in the homes were covered. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed and a basin in which the murderer washed was found in the kitchen at every one of these scenes. Yeah, that's no coincidence. In each case, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Wilkerson believed was strong evidence that the man was Mansfield, who Mm -hmm. knew his fingerprints were on file at the Federal Military Prison at Leavenworth. Oh, okay. Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation 
1916, and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Velisca murders. He was released for lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against Wilkerson. What? And was awarded, get this, a whopping $2,225. Wow. Back then, he was balling. He, oh, yeah. He was gangster. <laughs> Wilkerson believed that pressure from Jones resulted not only in Mansfield's release, but also in the subsequent arrest and trial of another suspect. Okay. That we're going to get into. Okay, so in case against Mansfield, Red Oak, Iowa, July the 15th, 1916, the, the Montgomery grand jury got down to business here today examining the evidence against William Mansfield brought here from Kansas City, Kansas, charged with the Velisca Axe murders of four years ago. It is expected that there is enough evidence to keep the jury busy till Friday when Mansfield will have his preliminary hearing and be defended by his Kansas City attorney. R.H. Thorpe, a restaurant man from Shenandoah, was here today and identified Mansfield as the man he saw the morning after the murder boarding a train at Clorinda. This man said he had walked from Villisca. If this is sustained, it will break down Mansfield's alibi. Mrs. Vena Tompkins of Marshalltown is on her way here to testify that she heard three men in the woods plotting the murder of the Moore family a short time before the killings. Well, then why didn't she report that to why the police? She, <laughs> yeah. Why the fuck didn't you say something that night? Right? We got to, why didn't you go stop them? Shit. Call the marshal. Shit. All right. Red Oak, Iowa, July the 21st. So this is, you know, six days later. Mm -hmm. William Mansfield was released by order of District Judge Woodruff at 3 o'clock this afternoon after a special Montgomery County grand jury refused to indict him for the Villisca Axe murders four years ago. The sheriff placed him in an automobile and drove into the country, and it is... Suppose Mansfield will return to Kansas City, Kansas at once. <laughs> so, I mean, they're really detailed. He yeah. put him and drove him out to the country. Or and Yeah, he probably killed him out there. I don't <laughs> Shit. Drove it. Hey, Sheriff, I'll just walk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Got two more. Okay. And these are good. The next one is Reverend George Jacqueline Kelly. Reverend. Oh my goodness! What the hell was he doing? To get We're going to use this? Reverend, the the term Reverend, very loosely. I gotcha. All right. One of the other prime suspects in the axe murders was Reverend George Kelly, a traveling preacher. Ah, oh, okay. Kelly and his wife settled in Macedonia, mm -hmm. Iowa, in 1912 after several years of preaching throughout the Midwest. In 1917. Kelly was arrested and charged with the murder of one, one of the victims of the Villisca Axe murder. Wait, what? One. <laughs> one? Yes, But well, then who killed all the others? One. Oh, my gosh. All right, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch real quick. And uh, I want to 
That's fucking stupid. Oh, I know. Okay. So according to historicmysteries.com, they start talking about Reverend Kelly as a traveling minister. Mm -hmm. He arrived in Villisca for the first time on the morning of June the 10th. Okay. Okay. To attend that service at the church. That night. Remember that night that Sarah Moore was a co-director of that was for Mm -hmm. the kids and stuff. He then was seen leaving Villisca at 5 a.m. the next morning on the train heading westbound out of town. It was reported he told some passengers that eight dead bodies were lying back in Villisca. What the fuck? Why would he tell passengers that? He even mentioned that they had been killed while they slept. Okay. This was several hours before the news had spread. Right. So, somebody saying that would have obviously... I mean, they didn't... Nobody found out until around 8 o'clock. Right. So, the person saying that would obviously be the one that did it, being that they knew. Yeah. But then again, why would he be a dumbass and tell people on the train that that happened? You know who I'm picturing him as? What? And for people listening if you haven't watched this show you need to watch it it's on hbo it's called the righteous gemstones <laughs> but and there's a character on there named uncle baby billy <laughs> and this is who i'm picturing this traveling preacher as i never even put that together but man you probably that's probably dead on yeah that is awesome yeah so oh y'all should check God. out that show oh yeah the righteous gemstones it's got Danny McBride in it. It yeah. is hilarious. It is hilarious. All right. Kelly was described as peculiar, reportedly having suffered a mental breakdown mm. as an adolescent. Mm. Okay. As an adult, he was accused of peeping oh, and several shit. times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. What? Oh. On June the 8th, this is not funny. I'm sorry. I was just. <laughs> because I'm still picturing Uncle Baby Billy in my yeah, mind. Yeah, I know. I am too. That's why I'm and, laughing. And like what you're describing yeah. is like, oh my God, that is so Uncle I know. Baby Billy. My God. Okay. On June the 8th, a couple days before, of 1912, he came to Villisca to teach the Children's Day Services. Okay. Which the Moore family attended, mm-hmm. like I said, on June the 9th. In the weeks that followed, He displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and family of the deceased. Oh, okay. This aroused suspicion, Mm. and a private investigator wrote back to Reverend Kelly asking for details that the minister might know about the murders. So he can incriminate himself Mm. or implicate? Yeah. Kelly replied in detail. Oh, shit. Claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders. What? His known mental illness uh-huh. made authorities question whether he knew the facts because of having committed the murders or was imagining this. That's a good point. Yeah. So, in 1914, two years later, Kelly was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. What? what the fuck? <laughs> what did they consider obscene back then? Was it like a picture of his his titty or something? And 
You know what I'm saying? Because obscene back then was like way oh, different yeah. from obscene okay. now. Okay, yeah. Maybe it was a picture of him sticking his tongue out. Maybe he drew a picture of himself. <gasps> oh. And maybe he maybe drew so. a picture of a penis. He might And did. sent that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. that yeah. That's where I was getting at. What do they consider obscene back then? Right. So, we, we don't know. I was just wondering. This is stupid. <laughs> he was sent to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, the National Mental Hospital in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Investigators speculated again that Kelly could be the murderer of the Velisca family. Mm -hmm. In 1917, Kelly was arrested for the Velisca murders. Oh, okay. Police obtained a confession from him. Oh. However... It followed many hours of interrogation, and Kelly later recanted. <laughs> After two separate trials, mm -hmm. he was acquitted. So, I mean, it's obvious that he didn't did, obviously didn't need to be a preacher, but with it known that he had mental problems, I, I'm really just wondering if. I mean, it's it's making me think that he didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, I know. He was more of a perv than a. Axe murderer. Now it was said that in in one one story that I read, it was said that Reverend Kelly actually took a shining to Lena. Uh, I can see that. So it's he's a perv. and that's only mentioned in very it's very few stories have that, but but it is said out there that that he took a shining to Lena. Mm -hmm. So that would kind of go to that story of or you know the suggestion that. It was all that Lena was the prime target, right. you know. So I don't know. Mm, okay, it's, it's, it's kind of up in the air there. All right, I'm gonna save this one for last because that's the one I really think that could have done it. All right, every hobo, transient, and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was also a suspect in the axe murders. All right, so and and just so happens there were transients mm -hmm. that were in the area the night of the murders. One such suspect was a man named Andy Sawyer. As with many other suspects, no real evidence linked him to the crime. However, his name came up often mm -hmm. in grand jury testimonies. Okay. So people were like saying this man's name while they're giving testimony on other in other cases and mm -hmm. stuff. According to Thomas Dyer of Burlington, Iowa, a bridge foreman and a pile driver for the Burlington Railroad, Andy Sawyer approached his crew in Creston at 6 a.m. on the morning the murders were discovered. Mm -hmm. Mr. Sawyer was clean-shaven and wearing a brown suit when he arrived. His shoes were covered in mud, mm -hmm. and his pants were wet nearly to the knees. He asked for employment, and as Mr. Dyer needed an extra man, he was given a job right there on the spot. Mm -hmm. Mr. Dyer testified that later that evening when the crew hit Fontanella, Iowa, Mr. Sawyer purchased a newspaper, which he went off by himself to read. The newspaper carried a front-page account of the Velisca murders. Okay. And according to Dyer, Sawyer was much interested in it. Dyer's crew complained that Sawyer slept with his clothes on and was anxious to be by himself. Now, look. Okay. I mean, look, that's that's why 
I'm like, I don't know about this guy. I don't either, because my thing yeah. is, what business is it of yours that he wants to sleep with his fucking clothes on? Yeah, I mean... And that he wants to be by himself. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Everybody has moments where they want to be by themselves. I mean, as far as him taking a shining to the to the paper article and stuff, look, he just left there. So, right. I mean, obviously he's going to be a little bit interested in it because he just left there. But, you know? I mean, how long was he actually looking at it? Yeah. I mean, he could have just read the article and been done, and everybody else is like, oh, my God, you spent, like, one minute too long reading right. that article. Right. Exactly. So People suck. All right. This was a strong possibility that there was a serial killer was actually at work, and Wilkerson's case against Mansfield actually suggested the same. M.W. Mm-hmm. McClowry a federal officer assigned to the Velisca case actually announced in May of 1913 that he had solved not only the Velisca murders, but 22 other wow. that had been committed in the Midwest around the same time frame. Okay. McLowry's theory was that Henry Moore, no relation to Joe Moore, was the serial killer responsible for all of the crimes. Henry Moore was actually convicted of the murders of his mother and maternal grandmother in Columbia, Missouri, just months before the Velisca Axe murders. Moore's family members were killed just as brutally as the victims of Velisca, and his weapon of choice? An axe. An axe. Mm -hmm. Henry Lee Moore was born November the 1st of 1874 in Boone County, Missouri, He was the eldest son of Enoch and Georgia Ann Wilson Moore. There were three other sons born of the couple. Henry's father was a farmer and served in the Civil War. His mother was a nurse. Two of Henry's brothers, Tilden and Turner Moore, as well as his father, passed away before 1910. Wow. Henry's remaining brother, Charles, died in 1960 in Stockton, California. Charles left the area prior to the deaths of his mother and grandmother and did not return for the trial. It was unknown whether or not he was aware of the situation. So in 1900, Henry was living with a family in Franklin County, Iowa, and working as a farmhand. Mm -hmm. It is suspected that Henry may have fathered a child with the young daughter of the farmer. Oh, shit. A little scandal going on there at the farmhouse. Henry was sentenced to the Kansas State Reformatory in Hutchinson, Kansas. Oh, okay. On a forgery charge and was released on April the 11th, 1911. The murders in Colorado Springs occurred in September of that same year. Testimony during Henry's trial indicated that he had lived with his mother and grandmother during the winter of 1911 Mm -hmm. and the summer of 1912. Okay. He left to take a job on the railroad. Henry served 36 years of a life sentence before being paroled by the governor of Missouri on December the 2nd, 1949. So he was convicted. Yeah. Uh, so the governor commuted his sentence on July the 30th, 1956. Henry was 82 years old. So during the Velisca investigation, other axe murders also came to light. Just nine months before the crime in Velisca, H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham 
and her two children were bludgeoned with an axe in Colorado Springs. Mm. A month later, in October of 1911, a family was killed in Monmouth, Illinois. And just a, a week later, five members of a family in Ellsworth, Kansas, were murdered as they slept. Wow. Just a week before the killing of the Moors and Stillingers in Villisca, a man and his wife were killed in Paola, Kansas. Now, we've got two suspects in all of these. Right. One that I've previously mentioned, and this guy, Henry Lee Moore. That worked for the railroad. That worked for the railroad. And I would assume would be traveling. That's right. Okay. The similarities in the crimes were striking, they said. McClowry received information about Moore's conviction from his father, who was the warden of the Leavenworth, Kansas Federal Penitentiary. Okay. It was his belief that Mr. Moore, Mr. Henry Moore, had committed all of the murders. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, McClowry's announcement went largely ignored. Uh, of course. And to our knowledge, Henry Moore was not convicted of any of the other crimes. Mm. So... I mean, did they just not attempt it since he was already in jail doing time for killing his mother and grandmother? Maybe. They may have been like, well, he's already in jail, so we'll just kind of let this go. I don't right. Know. They never let this go. This remains unsolved to this day. Yeah. A hundred and ten years later, it is still unsolved. Which, I mean, with each year that goes by, I'm sure it becomes harder and harder. Yeah. Because for one thing that was against them was the crime scene was tainted. Very tainted. So, yeah. Yeah. So there has been, since then, there has been several other suspects, but none notable. Mm -hmm. So really the, the main suspects were Henry Lee Moore, mm -hmm. Reverend Kelly, I don't know. I just don't see and, Uncle Baby Billy doing it. And William Mansfield, Blackie. I re <sighs> see, that's what I'm saying. William Mansfield and Henry Lee Moore both kind of fit that right. description of someone who is psychologically capable of doing this kind of a murder. Right. But when you get into Henry uh, Moore, Moore killing his mother and grandmother yeah. and working for the railroad yeah. and traveling around and all these families were yeah. killed in the same yep. way. But then you got Reverend Kelly jumping on a train at 5 a.m. the next morning telling people on the train about these murders. But do you think that really happened? Or do you think maybe the people that are saying that were like, you know, this guy really rubbed me the wrong way. So let's try and see if we can just come up with this. Maybe he'll be pinned for these murders or whatever. Because, I'm going to you know, tell you weird. what I think. I'm going to tell you what I think. Uh -huh. I think there was multiple people is what I think. I think Reverend Kelly was there. What? Yep, I think he was there. Okay. I think that one of these other guys, either Henry Lee Moore or Blackie mm -hmm. Mansfield, I think that one of them were also there. I think there was two people in there. That's what I think. Okay. There's no way, no way that one person can ever think that they're going to go into a house at night with eight people in there and kill eight people without someone waking up. That's true. Because somebody could have been doing 
the parents. Watch out, watch a lookout. Somebody could have been in there. Somebody could have been in. And I told you there was speculation about the axe. Yeah. That, you know, well, this isn't the axe that was used. Well, no, it is the axe that was used. Was there multiple? Right. Was there, you could know. So was one guy in the kitchen eating a plate of food or cooking a plate of food? And was the other guy in there, you know, hacking away at the victims? Was one of the guys in the barn? Was one of the guys upstairs in the attic? I'm just saying, I think there was two people. Mm-hmm. And I think that Reverend Kelly was one of them. I don't know. Because my thought is the person that was in the barn, they said that the hay looked like somebody had yeah. been laying on it. Mm-hmm. I think what happened, my opinion is that somebody had been watching the family through the peephole mm-hmm. in the wall. Mm-hmm. And when they left to go to the program at church that night, that person then went in the house in the attic yeah. to wait for them. Right. Well, that's possible. But I'm going back to the lady that said, Miss Tompkins, Thompson, mm-hmm. Tompkins that said that she heard voices that night mm-hmm. planning the murder. And I again, think, why didn't you tell why somebody? Why didn't you say something? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, ring, ring. You know, I think that that's probably true, mm-hmm. that she did hear multiple voices. And I think that Reverend Kelly was one of them. Could when you see a picture of Reverend Kelly, mm-hmm. my opinion he looks guilty mm-hmm. when you see him. And I'm going to, uh, we're going to post a picture. You're profiling. I'm, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. But I'm telling you. Yeah. You see Joe Moore and you see Reverend Kelly. Joe Moore is twice the size oh. of Reverend Kelly. I think that's why Reverend Kelly needed help or somebody needed help or something. Somebody was paid. Maybe Frank Jones was part of it. And mm-hmm. he probably masterminded the whole thing, and he wasn't there, but maybe he he hooked up with uh, Mansfield, and got and then Mansfield got <gasps> with uh, oh. with Reverend Kelly. Oh no! And they did it. I think Frank Jones got with his guy Mansfield mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, I want you to take care of this for me." Mm-hmm. And Mansfield was thinking, "This is a lot of people. I'm going to need help." Yeah. And the train was passing through town, and mm-hmm. he's seen. See, I should have been writing these names down. <laughs> Mansfield got with Henry Lee Moore because he had seen Henry Lee Moore working with the train, and I'm sure working with the train, he's probably done been through the town plenty of times. Yeah. And was like, hey, man, I got a job. Yeah. I need you to help me. That's possible. All of that is possible. I know. So we don't know. Like I said, oh, this we can is. Just speculate. That's right. This is still unsolved. Yeah. It's probably one of the oldest unsolved mysteries. I mean, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, that's our theories. There's other theories that are out there. You're welcome to go read about them. Uh, one of the websites that I got, most of the information that I was telling you about tonight is VelizkaIowa.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, very, it's a very good website. It has a lot of more information on there about this case and about these suspects mm-hmm. and victims and things so i encourage you to check that out so that is going to be the conclusion of the Velisca axe murders mm-hmm. the Velisca axe murder house the paranormal the everything about it speaking of paranormal i have a mm-hmm. question 
So it's obvious that the people that have been going there doing paranormal investigations, mm-hmm. yeah, I, mean, I know you've said that they've gotten EVPs oh, and yeah. all that. Yeah. During any of the times anybody has been there doing that, have they ever asked the ghost or do you know who killed you? Because it's obvious there they have been there have there's several videos. Uh-huh. One EVP that was caught, and it's funny that you asked that, and it just jogged my memory. One of the EVPs that was caught, they said, was the killer. Now, I'm not really sure how that is. Okay. But they swear up and down that it is Reverend Kelly because mm-hmm. his name is said. Now, another one, an EVP, it said Kelly. But did it clearly say Kelly? And the reason why uh, I say that is You know how EVPs are. Right, and if you're thinking one way, yes. you can be like... Swayed that way. Right. Right. Like, that sounds like... Right. Yeah. So, again, I, that's why I did not bring that up. Yeah. Because, like you say, you hear... Sometimes you hear what you want to hear. Right. Or what you might be thinking. Right. And so, I caution, caution, caution... You know, when you're watching the videos, you're listening to the EVPs, mm-hmm. try to have your mind as clear as possible. Right. Because you're going to hear what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about it, you will hear it. Mm-hmm. So just be careful. So anyway, yeah, there's a lot of EVPs. There's a lot of people that say that they say Kelly. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of things that kind of point to Kelly. And I do think that Kelly was there. Okay. I don't think that he did everything there. Right. I think he there was somebody else in there with him. Mm-hmm. Now, how do they not have any evidence whatsoever for two people in there? I don't know. How do they have any ev- no evidence of somebody being in there with just one person? Because they let all them town folk go up in there before they could collect maybe, evidence. Maybe there were shoe prints, and they could not collect them because there were too many damn people in there taping the crime scene. Right. So anyway. Way too many shoe prints to be able to... Same. Right, right. I mean, they was walking out of there with pieces you, of this man's hey, skull. Do you, can you imagine if it was today, people going in there, laying against the bodies and taking selfies? Oh, my God. Shit. Really? Hey, anyway. there's probably some stupid-ass people out there that would do that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay. So there it is. The Felisca Axe Murders. Good story. I thought I'd do that. I thought I'd start out with the paranormal. Oh, yeah. I hope you guys liked it. You know, uh, I liked it. So there's a lot of stories out there, a lot of other podcasts that mm-hmm. uh, that are out there that did a really good job telling it. Mm-hmm. I know I'm nowhere near as good as they are, so I encourage you to go listen to like Morbid, mm-hmm. uh, Ash and Elena's account on the Velisca Axe Murders. They did a great job. I so. really wish they would reach out to us one time because I mean we mention them all the time. We do, we do. But they are our favorite. We yeah. have been listening to them for yeah. a couple of years. And and I have started listening to a couple of other ones too. Uh huh. I listened to one on a cult, which was really good. Right. And I was going to throw out another one of my favorites, because I know there's a couple of them that we listen to that Mm -hmm. one of us listens to. Cult Leader by Spencer Henry. That's a really good one. All right. Yeah. Cults. Mm -hmm. Just the word cults is also another one. Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yes. Stay tuned, because Jamie's got one coming up. I do. I got part two to the... Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis eight. Yes, them. And uh, I'm ready to get into the theories on that one because I got angry in the 
first one. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you're going to be angry with this one, too, and you're yeah. probably going to be just like I was over here, just yeah. mouthing, oh, well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll probably be doing yeah. the same. Yeah. But. All right. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please give us a like on the social medias, the different places that you uh, listen to us on, rate us. We definitely want to hear from you guys, so let us know. That is going to take us to the end of this episode. Right. Until next time, keep being disturbed. Bye. Bye.